<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. First casualty of the war against COVID-19 is the truth, but we must fight for it. Stand by. The doors to the newsroom are locked and the PC police are not getting in. So sit back. First casualty of war versus the COVID-19 is the truth, but it's something in this election cycle we must fight for. Stand by. The doors to the newsroom are locked and the PC police are not getting in. So sit back and relax as we unfold today's edition of The Ledger Report. And in San Diego, one anchor man was more man than the rest. His name was Graham Ledger. He was like a god walking amongst There's one bright spot that I saw, though. The U.S. personal savings rate has taken off. Before the crisis, it was around 8%. Now it's around 20%. Now, let me tell you what's going on. Those of us who are fortunate enough to still have our jobs, we're saving a lot more money because we're not going to restaurants or movie theaters or vacations. That actually means we have a lot more resources as a country to support those who've been laid off. And so- Stop it. Stop it. That's Neil Kashkari. Now, this guy's a smart guy. If I remember right, Neil Kashkari, I think he ran for Congress or Senate or governor in California. He's the uh, chair of the Minneapolis Federal Reserve. So obviously he's a smart guy, uh, either politically smart, economically smart, maybe both. But he's making absolutely no sense here. You know, he's trying to put a, um, uh, a silver lining on an incredibly dark, gloomy cloud that's hanging over this country. And that I think when we look back in history, 10, 20, 30 50 years from now, I, I hope that historians look back at this moment and say, what in the hell were they thinking? What in the hell were our forefathers thinking in the year 2020 when they shut down the entire economy because of a virus, because of a bug, because of an illness that was going around? They shut down the economy? I mean, think about the message this sends to your enemies, to China, to Russia, to the terrorists in the Middle East and all over the world, 
the Islamic radicals that want to slit our throats. This is sending a horrible message. So we have this very smart guy with a bald head, this Neil Kashkari, saying, hey, you know, the good news is a lot of people are saving money because they're not going out. (laughs) Okay, we've talked about this. And the savings rate in the United States has plummeted over the past four or five decades. And it, it can be tied directly to our educational system. You know, my grandparents were great savers, and they, they saved money in their CD account or in their passbook account, I think is what they used to call it, in their bank account. And they kept it in cash, and they bought bonds. My grandfather and grandmother used to buy me, um, what kind of bonds? There were some kind of um, bonds that would mature over about uh, 15 or 20 years. You know, as a kid, five, six, seven years old, I get this little slip of paper. It's a bond. It's like, woohoo, what do I get? You know, a $50, $100 bond. Oh, well, you can use it for college. But that's what the generation, the greatest generation believed in. They believed in saving because they went through the Depression and they went through World War II. They believed in, save, in saving money. And investing in bonds, and back in World War II, there were war bonds, all kinds of bonds, you know, safe investments. And these days, because of our educational system and, and the lack thereof, not teaching about the Constitution, not teaching about free market capitalism, not teaching about a balanced portfolio where, yes, you should have some money put away in cash in a savings account, and you should have X amount uh, invested, uh, depending on what kind of age range you're in. You want to be more aggressive in your 20s and less aggressive in your 60s and in your 70s. But the bottom line is it's not being taught. And so why would we be surprised that people are not saving? So we have Neil Kashkari here uh, putting lipstick on a pig, trying to say that, hey, these are, these are, these are good times because people are not going out to movie theaters. And people are not going out to restaurants. And people are not engaging in commerce. They're staying home and they're saving money. Okay, well, sure. How about both? How about we have both in this country? How about we teach the value and the virtue of saving money and we remove the bonds that shackle us right now from enjoying a robust life in a free market economy? We can do both. So this guy, I think he's a Republican. He doesn't sound like one. Roll tape. Well, historically, we would worry about racking up too much debt. We're generating the savings ourselves. That means Congress has the resources to support those who are most hurting. Stop the tape. Stop the tape. I'm sorry, but this makes no sense whatsoever. The fact that, that we are, as a society, are saving more money now and putting it in the bank or in a CD or, or what have you gives Congress the leverage to spend trillions and trillions of dollars that we do not have. This makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. None whatsoever. The two are mutually exclusive. Congress, the, Washington, D.C., is mortgaging the future of this republic, destroying, obliterating the future generations, my daughter's future, for example, $26 trillion national operating debt and the unfunded debt, the unfunded liability is in the neighborhood of $200 trillion, $26 trillion. And most of that, um, ever since uh, Barack Obama was sworn into office, I believe 
the debt was somewhere in the neighborhood of eight, nine, ten trillion dollars, and George W. Bush racked up a lot toward the end there with that TARP nonsense. And then, of course, Barack Obama with the bailout, and then all bets were off. Trillion dollar deficits annual are now come. Well, this is money that we don't have. And those little savings accounts that Americans are trying to build right now, if Congress doesn't get a handle on the profligate spending, those little savings accounts are going to be worthless. They're going to be wiped out because of the recklessness of Washington, D.C. And this guy is trying to give them cover. It's unbelievable. In the end, the laws of economics trump the laws of politics. And right now, Washington, D.C. is being completely governed by the laws of politics. Oh, we need to give another $600 a week. Is it a week? I believe it's a week. $600 a week to the so-called unemployed. No, you know what the unemployed need? They don't need another $600 a week. They need a job. They need the government to get the hell out of the way, whether it's the federal government or the state government or the local government. Get the hell out of the way. Get off the backs of the American people, as Ronald Reagan once said, and allow people to live their lives. Allow people to spend those savings if they want to infuse it into the economy. The President of the United States is trying to have this happen, and then we have this guy, Neil Kashkari, say, hey, no, don't worry about it. Stay at home and save your money. It's good for the economy. Are you kidding me? And allow Congress to continue to, to spend like drunken politicians, which is what they are? This is craziness. This is, this is the casualty of COVID-19, right? This is an absolute economic fallacy. This guy sounds like an economic illiterate. I don't believe that he is, but he's coming off this way. And there's more from this guy. Roll tape. It's really the virus and our ability to control the virus, either through clamping back down, getting the case count down so that we can test and trace. and Stop tape. Okay, so what he's saying is we need to clamp back down. We need to shut back down. That's what he's saying. So according to Neil Kashkari, who's a very intelligent guy and in, in charge of the, the Minneapolis Federal Reserve, which means he's up there, you know, making monetary decisions that affect us all, he's saying it'd be a good idea to shut back down again, to shut down the economies, to shut down the several states, to shut down Texas, to shut down Florida, to shut down California, well, California is, for all intents and purposes, half shut down. If, if, if California was a V8 engine, it's hitting on maybe four cylinders at the most. And there's no, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. If you search around right now for articles about California reopening, and it's probably the same thing in New Jersey and in New York as well, in Pennsylvania and Michigan and Illinois, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. You know the only light at the end of the tunnel? It's called November 3rd. When they are banking, they would be the blue state governors are banking, that if their guy, Joe Biden, is elected president of the United States and the shackles come off. If Donald Trump is reelected on November 3rd, my suspicion is, as much as I, I, I would hate this and it would force me to consider uh, moving not only from a state to another state, 
but quite possibly out of this country. And I, I'm being serious here. I'm not being melodramatic. Because if these governors continue to strangle our economy by... Remember, they control one-third of the overall gross domestic product in this country. They would be the blue state governors. That's going to choke the rest of us off. What in the hell do we do? And California is not going to recall Governor Newsom. And New York's not going to recall Cuomo. And New Jersey's not going to recall Murphy. It's not going to happen. What would cause that to happen? We would have to begin re-educating generations of people in those in the blue states. What we have now in California in particular is the residue of about four or five decades of total control of the educational system, and thus it's producing little Marxist socialists who are, instead of educated about U.S. history and the United States Constitution, they're propagandized against it. And they are told to believe effectively what Gavin Newsom believes, and therefore when Gavin Newsom chokes off the economy in California, they clap, they applaud, they say, oh, he's doing the right thing, it's, it's for our own good, when he takes away the constitutional rights of Californians and refuses to allow them to go to church or tells them to wear a mask, a.k.a. a muzzle. You can't undo it overnight. It's just not going to happen. It's a generational thing, and it's going to take probably two or three generations if, if Californians wake up and start at the school board level and start working their way up into government and, and fixing things. But I see no sign of that. I'm sorry, but I see no sign of California or these other blue states recovering from their Marxist socialist frenzy. Let's hear more from Neil. Roll tape. This thing under control or eventually getting a vaccine or a robust therapy. That's Stop tape. Okay, so here, here's the problem. We keep hearing about the, the vaccine is going to be a cure-all. The problem with this is there's probably about a quarter of Americans somewhere in that neighborhood that are going to refuse to get the vaccine, and that's their choice. They don't have to have a vaccine. They don't have to administer a vaccine to their children or themselves. That's the great thing about this country. And it worries me. It, 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 it gravely concerns me that there's going to be a move uh, just as easily as Gavin Newsom ordered people to stay home for the month of March and the month of April and the month of May. I feared that he would try and order people to get a vaccine. Imagine that. And Cuomo, same thing, and Pritzker, the same thing in Illinois. I see it coming. And if it doesn't come, then the X amount of Americans who refuse to get a vaccine, which includes my physician, my personal physician, by the way, he said, I'm not going to do it. Things not tested. Well, it gives these blue state governors another excuse. It's like Gavin Newsom when he orders people to wear a mask, right? If the numbers keep going up in California, which they have been, yet he gives this order to wear a mask, he can say his out is, well, not enough people are complying, right? So if not enough Californians get the vaccine, then it's another excuse for him to hammer the economy if Donald Trump happens to get reelected in November. 
Again, if Joe Biden, God forbid, is elected on November 3rd, then all bets are off because it's going to completely change the dynamic. The Wuhan coronavirus is effectively going to go away. And the interesting thing is in California, um, there's a story out of Breitbart, and the headline is San Francisco sees coronavirus spike despite doing everything, quote, by the book. Very interesting article. I'm Graham Ledger, and this is the Ledger Report. So San Francisco, and you know, many times when I'm from born and raised in San Francisco, and, and often people say, oh, I'm from San Francisco too, and I say, what part of San Francisco? And then they'll say, Oakland. <laughs> or San Jose. Well, uh, that's not San Francisco. San Francisco is nine miles by nine miles. It's a very small area, about 700,000 residents. For a major city, it's very, very... Uh, small. So when uh, publications like Breitbart talk about, quote, San Francisco, they're often talking about the entire Bay Area. And that's effectively what they're talking about here. It says the San Francisco Chronicle reports that while the Bay Area kept cases low initially and adhered to, quote, social distancing, mask wearing, and other preventative policies, the fate of the nine counties in the region is a, quote, cautionary tale. Even though they did everything, quote, by the book, the cases are continuing to increase in San Francisco, a.k.a. the Bay Area. And this is my point. The point I've been making for many, many months now after I've been researching the Wuhan coronavirus for this entire episode, and that is that mankind cannot control the virus. As much as Neil Kashkari believes that we can control the virus, we can't. Let's hear more from Neil. Roll tape. The only way we're really going to have a real robust economic recovery, otherwise we're going to have flare-ups, lockdowns, and a very halting recovery with many more job losses and many more bankruptcies for an extended period of time, unfortunately. So Kashkari is uh, in the same tent as Newsom and Cuomo and Pritzker and Murphy and the crazy nutcase Whitmer, and Wolf, and Inslee, etc., etc., etc. He believes, they believe, that mankind can actually stop the spread of a virus. And we have all this hand-wringing going on. Well, look at what's going on in California. There's a mask mandate. They shut down the bars. They shut down the restaurants. They shut down the schools. They shut down... And the virus continues to grow. The virus continues to spread. How can that be? And then, of course, we have Dr. Fauci pointing to uh, New York as the uh, model, the case study for how to handle the Wuhan coronavirus. Are you kidding me? It's the model of how to murder New Yorkers. Andrew Cuomo sending all those people, all those sick people, into facilities for the elderly and then killing dozens of them, causing the numbers to spike, spreading the virus around New York. New York peaks, what was a couple of months ago, and now there's virtually no cases, and it's not because of Andrew Cuomo. Andrew Cuomo, I believe, should be investigated for accessory to murder. I think there should be a federal-level investigation on what Andrew Cuomo did by forcing these nursing homes to accept the Wuhan coronavirus patients with a wink and a nudge and a nod, knowing 
that these facilities were going to get federal compensation, extra money for taking the patients, and then he indemnifies. Very few people saw this, I caught it, that Andrew Cuomo, his government indemnifies these nursing facilities in New York so they couldn't have their rear ends sued off. So it's the perfect storm. He sends them into these nursing facilities. The nursing facilities handle them. They die and they can't be sued. They can't be sued. So the numbers spike early in New York and now they've crashed back down both the cases and the deaths. Why? Why is that? Because now they have achieved through Andrew Cuomo and de Blasio's radical, crazy policies, they've achieved herd immunity in New York. That's effectively what's happening. We have evidence in certain boroughs of New York. They've, they've checked for antibodies among people who live there. And sure enough, they're around 50, 60% of the population that's being checked has the antibodies. And so here we have California in particular the San Francisco Bay Area, that was doing just fine. And then all of a sudden, the numbers start spiking again. Well, what do you expect when people are living their lives, going out in society? Sure, maybe in March, the San Francisco in March is kind of cold. Okay, so you hole up, March, April, weather gets decent. In the Bay Area, it gets warm. In San Francisco, in August, it gets cold. It's just, you know, it's what Mark Twain said. The coldest winter I ever spent was a summer in San Francisco. It happens. But if you move just slightly to the east from the city, the Bay Area, uh, San Francisco itself, in the Bay Area, you move slightly east or slightly north in the Marin County or slightly south into the South Bay, the, the weather starts warming up and people are living their lives. Even in San Francisco, they, you know, in the middle of August, it's foggy and cloudy and 55 degrees, but people go out and live their lives. It's just the summer in San Francisco. And so what do you expect? What do you expect? People are living their lives. They can't be holed up like rabbits in the ground. They can't. Like little gophers and poking their head out, you know, like Groundhog Day. And is it okay, Governor Newsom, that we live our lives now? Yeah, you can go. And then they go and, oh, look what you people did. Memorial Weekend. They blame it on Memorial Weekend. That Memorial Weekend was this huge turning point where people said, okay, the Wuhan coronavirus isn't out there anymore, let's go have fun. Well, you know what? To a certain extent, that's probably correct because people are sick of this stuff. And I think there are tens of millions of Americans who think like me. Protect yourself as you would like during flu, cold and flu season. Uh, wash your hands, which I have done way, way before the Wuhan coronavirus. I've carried hand sanitizer for many, many years because I'm a little bit obsessive compulsive in the clean hand department. Okay, fine. Take care of yourself, wash your hands, and live life. Live life. And I can live life without a mask. And I know that tens of millions of Americans can too. I believe all Americans can. And I can live without the mask police and those so-called Karens out there. So here we have this shining example of a wonderful response. Remember how the Bay Area was held up by the mainstream media? Oh, look at the Bay Area. Look at what they've done. They were so proactive. Remember, it was the Bay Area that shut down first. 
way before Gavin Newsom issued the statewide order, way before the rest of the country went into the tank with Gavin Newsom and all the once Golden State. Remember, it was the Bay Area that shut it down. Uh-oh. Now, what, six months later? We have a problem, Bay Area. The virus is spreading. You know why? It's very simple. It's the truth. First casualty of war in the COVID-19 battle is the truth. And the truth hurts. The number one truth is that mankind cannot stop the spread of a virus. Period. End of story. No matter what Dr. Fauci says or believes. Number two, and maybe most important in our society today, second most important, masks don't do anything. 2018 CDC study, it's right there. If you dig into the CDC website like I have, non-pharmaceutical, the title of the thing begins non-pharmaceutical. It's one of those typical research papers. It was done in 2018. Huge title, all subtitles, all footnoted. I got about four or five pages of footnotes, as a matter of fact. But it begins non-pharmaceutical use of face coverings and then blah, 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 blah. The conclusion they reached, what, two years ago, was that a face covering, a.k.a. a mask, does nothing to mitigate the spread of a virus. Meantime, the president remains the cheerleader-in-chief in terms of beating COVID-19, and this is exactly what he should be doing. He should be out there being optimistic, but he should also temper it with reality. And these fireside chats that I am suggesting, the White House begin... Um, should happen on a nightly basis where the president comes out and says, this is the latest information, and this is governor from a blue state, this is a governor from a red state, let's talk about it, let's knock heads, let's let the American people see that we're all trying to get on the same page and deal with the Wuhan coronavirus and the truth with information like this. Roll tape. One of the things that are happening and you're reading about every day is we have many vaccine candidates are in the final phase of clinical trials, and we expect to have a vaccine available very, very early before the end of the year, far ahead of schedule. There's never been a schedule. The FDA has been great at my instruction, and they're doing it in literally a tiny fraction of the time. This could have taken years, and literally we're in months, and we're very close to having that finalized, and then we're using our military to distribute the vaccine all over logistically. All right, stop it. It's uh, basically what the president is, is ho hoping for there, pretty clear, is that there will be a vaccine before the end of the year. Well, what we need is a vaccine before November 3rd. And that's the reality of it. That would potentially... Now, I just talked about these outs that these blue state governors would talk about, Right. Let's say there's a vaccine today. We know that it's going to take time, first of all, for the vaccine to be administered. Uh, the cost, you know, and the insurance and the president saying that they're going to use the military. And that's great, but that's obviously limited in its distribution. But we know that Cuomo uh, could easily say, uh, well, but there are too many people not administering and, and, and not accepting the vaccine and so therefore we've got to keep the restaurants shut down on the inside you can keep eating with the rats 
on the street and on the sidewalk in New York City. But uh, no, we're going to have to keep things shut down. This is going to be, I can see this one coming. This is like the 815 train coming straight down the tracks right at me between my eyeballs. I can see this one coming. Um, I hope the president is right because it'll mitigate some. I think it'll take the edge off of some of this shutdown craziness, but it's not going to be the panacea. It's just not. I know it's not because I know the way these people think and the way the media thinks. And so the media is going to play up the fact that, oh, 25% of the population are anti-vaxxers. Well, that would include my personal physician who realizes that the first iteration of a vaccine can be dangerous. It's not tested. But the media is going to be out there pounding this over and over and over again. And while, again, it's going to help if, if the virus comes down before November 3rd, it's going to help. Absolutely. And it can help the cause of Donald Trump uh, in the end, because I believe that more of the U.S. economy would open up and we'll begin to, to recover. But the media is going to always accentuate the negative. Like this story that's circulating right now, that Donald Trump launches an, another attack on mail-in voting with a, quote, rant against illegal late-night coup in Nevada while Republicans worry his onslaught will hurt them in the ballot box in November. What a headline. <laughs> These people, this is from the Daily Mail. They have a run-on sentence uh, in their headline. You're supposed to have, like, one idea in a headline, like war. You know, it's a simple headline. It says... What it is? War. This has like two or three in there. But the, but the main focus is that Donald Trump is, is now uh, worried about Nevada. And he's right. Because Nevada is one of those swing states. Nevada could be a key player on election night or two weeks after. And see, this is part of the problem with the mail-in ballots. In California, they're allowed to continue to count ballots, what is it, two weeks after the election. The bottom line is we may not know the election results from California or many other states that are doing the mail-in ballot until weeks after November 3rd. And that's what Donald Trump is worried about, among other things. There's also the problem of the provisional ballots in California. And they have made a secondary electoral industry about provisional ballots. And there's going to be millions and millions of provisional ballots mailed out in California as well. So you're going to have all these ballots floating out there. Now, in the presidential race, we know it's over, right? There's no way a Republican, a.k.a. Donald Trump, is going to be able to carry California. But the bottom line is it can affect all kinds of congressional races, and it will. You're going to have all these extra ballots just kind of floating around out there in California, and you know what's going to happen. They're going to in the hands of these Democrat operatives... And they're going to do the ballot harvesting, and they're going to get counted, and they're going to affect all kinds of congressional races. You're never going to be able to win in California, not only at the presidential level, but I think there's only, what, about six or seven Republican members of Congress out of California, and the rest are all Democrats. I don't know. What's the total? About 50? And there's about 60, six or seven Republicans? It's out of whack, and it's always going to remain out of whack until the people of California wake up, if they do uh, wake up. Um, the president is also talking about Joe Biden. And of course, the president needs to carry 
among other states on November 3rd, the Keystone State, and that would be Pennsylvania. And so it's a battle for Pennsylvania, along, of course, with other battleground states like Florida uh, and Wisconsin. But the president very much wants to carry Pennsylvania because there's a Joe Biden tie to that. Roll tape. Thank the people of Pennsylvania, as you know, you supported me in the primaries and then you supported me in the general election. I love Pennsylvania. I went to school in Pennsylvania. I went to the Wharton School of Finance at University of Pennsylvania, and I loved it. I loved it. And, you know, Joe Biden likes to say he's from Pennsylvania, but he's not. His family abandoned Pennsylvania. I guess he was about 10 years old, maybe. And they moved to Delaware. He's not from Pennsylvania. He left Pennsylvania. You know, when he comes around, he only goes to Delaware to make speeches. He goes back to the basement. But he goes to Delaware to make speeches. But, you know, it's crazy. He is uh, saying he's from Pennsylvania, and it's wrong. His family left Pennsylvania many years ago when he was... I believe, 10 years old, and they moved to Delaware. So it's not only isn't he from Pennsylvania, but he left Pennsylvania. And I'll never let Pennsylvania down. I've done things that nobody thought were possible with your plants, your factories, your steel. Steel was a dead business, and now they're expanding steel. And by the way, we'll catch up to where we left off very soon because the China virus, obviously, it set us back a little bit. But we're going to be, next year will be a better year. I believe next year will be a better year than last year because things are looking that way. You know, I, it's, it's wonderful to hear a, a president who is optimistic like that, but he's not, you know, crazy optimistic, like uh, not tethered in reality optimism. He's, he's a businessman, and he knows that we had a good economy about, what, nine months ago? And he knows that if the blue state governors remove their well-shined shoes off the throats of their economies, it's going to come back. But there's a lot that stands in the way of that. And um, it's hinging on the Wuhan coronavirus and the truth. Meantime, the media is reporting either half-truths or out-and-out lies. And part of this is the polling. And there's reports out right now about Pennsylvania and the polling and that it's favoring Joe Biden over the President of the United States, if you look at the latest reports, there's a six-point spread. Joe Biden, six points over Donald Trump. In the last two or three months, the spread has been between two and seven points. Um, Donald Trump was the first Republican presidential candidate to carry Pennsylvania since 1988. And, of course, that election was George H.W. Bush. First one since George H.W. Bush, the 41st president of the United States, Donald Trump carried Pennsylvania. That's a big deal. So when we look at this reporting on Pennsylvania and in particular these other swing states, these other very important states in the electoral process, we have to remember that the first casualty of war in this Wuhan coronavirus, again, the battle against the Wuhan coronavirus is the truth. And the mainstream media is not in the business right now of reporting the truth. It's in the business of trying to elect Joe Biden as the 46th president of the United States. In other words, don't believe the polling. Do not believe the polling that's out there and learn your lesson from 2016 when every poll, everywhere said that Donald Trump didn't have a chance and that Hillary Clinton was going to be the 45th president of the United States. And, of course, we know what happened there. So don't let these people 
get you down. And who cares about the running mate of Joe Biden? This is the big news out there, again, in the mainstream. You know, who is it going to be? Oh, he's delaying it. He's delaying it? Yes, he's, he's delaying it. He's searching more. Oh, that's, that's chaotic, isn't it? Or, or is that uh, very measured and very smart? On his, oh, well, it's, it's, it's very measured and very smart. It's not chaotic at all. What, is he choosing the best um, potential candidate? No, he's going to find a woman of color. That's it. That's the only qualifications uh, that Joe Biden wants for his presidential running mate. Uh, and that narrows it down. In my mind, that narrows it down to two people. That would be Abrams in Georgia or this Demings character out of Florida. Why those two? I don't think Susan Rice is in the run. I think she's way, way too much of a lightning rod, even for the Democrats. I don't think she's likable either. Um, and I don't believe that Kamala Harris is, she's, other than being a nut job and someone who has slithered her way, shall we say, to where she is uh, on the uh, political totem pole, very, very slimy person. Uh, with roots back to San Francisco, of course. She's not in the running. What, what does she bring to the table? And she's not black, by the way. She's Jamaican and Indian. Uh, but, of course, they, you know, they, they never really want to report that in the mainstream media. And then you got uh, Elizabeth Warren. Forget about it. What does Elizabeth Warren bring to the table? And, and when you look at the electoral process, well, Abrams potentially, potentially could bring Georgia... And this Demings person potentially, potentially could bring Florida. And of course, Florida uh, is one of the key states. But it's really, who cares? Because in the end, it's going to come down to sloppy Joe Biden versus President Trump. And on that debate stage, this is going to be must-watch television, isn't it? I just can't wait for September, late September and into October where I believe they have uh, three debates scheduled. The vice presidential debate is going to be interesting, but come on. It's the undercard for sure. The main event, the very first time, the very first debate between Joe Biden and Donald Trump, I am going to have the uh, popcorn. I'm going to have the iced tea. I'm going to have the Maalox. I'm going to be all ready. I'm going to be hunkered down. Can't wait for the uh, first debate. Now remember, by the way, my ledger register this week. Uh, and you can find this on the Zip app as well. If you go to the zipapp.com and you put in ledger in the quick code box, uh, this question will come up along with the other questions that we use on the Zip app. But also if you go to grahamledger.com, grahamledger.com, the ledger register is on the right-hand column there. And this week, it uh, has to do with uh, professional sports. And the question is very simply, are you boycotting the NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball because of their acceptance and promotion of anti-American political positions? They're still doing it. I saw a report just the other day. They are, uh, they're still doing it. And uh, they're out there taking a knee. It's unfortunate, but uh, that's what's happening. Uh, they're taking a knee during the national anthem of uh, Major League Baseball. Uh, I, I don't even watch. I don't even look at that. It, it upsets me. It upsets me uh, quite a lot. So um, the first casualty of war against COVID-19 is the truth. And on this program, and hopefully for the next, what, 90 days until the November election, uh, we will be on a mission 
a never-ending quest to root out the truth on this here program. This edition of the Ledger Report is on its way to the Archives Library of Congress. Thank you for listening. I'm Graham Ledger. And remember, even when I'm wrong, I'm right.